Hello, everyone, and welcome. It's me, Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. Now put your jazz hands on and your spirit fingers, because here we are at the Little Brown School and Library Podcast with Jessica Townsend. <gasps> yes, I gasp, because it's going to be fun, and there's going to be a lot of giggling for Jessica is the completely delightful author of Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow. Yes. Amazing. I'm sorry. It, it took us a few tries. <laughs> now, I love a good, I, I was almost going to say solid fantasy, but I like a good, well-rounded fantasy. I like a fourth dimensional book, which I think you have given us. Thank and you. Nevermore. And what I mean by a four-dimensional book is that it has a first sentence and it has a last sentence, but all the places in between, there are moments and scenes and just throwaway bits where the reader's mind can go off spinning into different places. So I look forward to our conversation together, which I hope you will enjoy. I'm like a hundred percent sure that I will enjoy it. I'm enjoying it so far. Well, <laughs> gentle listeners, at the point we are recording this podcast, Jessica and I are both a little worse for wear <laughs> after a day and a half of publicity sorts of things. And poor Jessica has basically come directly to us from the plane from Australia. And, and then she's about to get back onto another plane to Portland, Oregon, which is the very best place in all the earth. Well, I'm going to Chicago first and then the very best place in all the earth. Okay, well, yeah. Chicago is acceptable. <laughs> we have friends in Chicago and, you know, the hot dogs are delightful. I have heard that. I've heard that there is a you delightful pizza also. So Morgan Crow is a bit of a self-discovery tale and you've spoken in other interviews about being inspired by your move to London and the complete strangeness of the place. And, and your enjoyment of the tube in London and, and, and the miraculousness of it. But I'm going to go back a little bit in time to when you first started thinking about this. I know it took you about 10 years. Mm. What is the first sentence of this story that you wrote? Oh, that is a really good and really difficult question. I could not possibly tell you the first sentence, but I can tell you the first scene that I wrote. Um, which is the scene at Crow Manor um, where Morrigan is first learning about bid day. So she's having this uh, slightly awkward family dinner with her family who doesn't really want her around. And she's learning about this concept uh, in this world called bid day. Um, and there were more... <laughs> There were more characters in that scene when I first wrote it, and then as I eventually went on, I realised that I couldn't have 50,000 people in every scene, which is a disappointment to me as an adult writer. Um, but yeah, I, I will have to look back and find out what the first sentence was. It was probably something snarky that came from uh, Morrigan's grandmother. Who is a great character. Thank you. I love her. Yes. <laughs> I, I I have a soft spot. I do heart. too. I think secretly she's my spirit character. <laughs> I think she might be. <laughs> but I love that that is the first scene then that you wrote. So let's stop a little bit and think about it because I think it captures many 
of the of the elements about the book that I like. It does have a beginning and it does have an end, but there are so many emotions and psychologies packed into that scene that that just stick with you. Can you talk a little bit about what your immediate reaction to that scene was when you wrote it? What was that thing that you were getting at that sort of flowered in your mind? Like this, this is it. Well, for me, that scene, I mean, you do kind of have this whole sort of front portion of the book that is set in the Republic, in Crow Manor, in Morrigan's like childhood home with her family. And that is probably for me, that is the scene that I could sit that on its own. And it's like, well, this is Morrigan and her family. And this is the way that she sits in this world. And this is how people see her and how they think of her. And in that scene, it's really clear that Morrigan is very much an afterthought for her family. She's an inconvenience. She's a burden. But she still is trying to be there in this world. And she's still curious. And she's still you know, putting her hand up and getting involved despite the fact that she has faces turning to her just looking at her like, why are you even here? Why are you asking these questions? Um, So then it kind of shows where she sits in this world with her family and also you do get an idea of the individual relationships and how they very slightly differ. You know, Morrigan's kind of interaction with her father is very different from her interaction with her grandmother and from with her stepmother. Yeah, it just sort of for me says, well, this is a character who is at the very lowest rung of the ladder but she's still clawing up you know she's still she's still trying to be present and trying to be in the world despite the fact that she knows her world is ending pretty soon what i love about this is it has two things that i am fascinated by families are not of accident they're of choice like real families then it's fascinating to me that you've captured a moment in middle grade literature almost where it shades over into what young adult literature is. To me, a middle grade book is where characters discover the world is as it is, not because of some sort of uh, chance or fiat. It's that adults make choices and that the character discovers, I could make choices too. And then in YA, it's sort of, I will remake the world in my own image. And I find it fascinating how you've portrayed Morgan sort of, this is about decision making and I'm going to make decisions. Right. And it's a pretty kind of stark portrayal of that because there's, there's no kind of subtlety here. You've got a kid who has grown up believing I'm going to die young and her entire worldview is framed by that. And then very suddenly, and this isn't a spoiler, it's on the blurb, Um, very suddenly she is given the chance to live she's literally she's asked the question don't don't you want to live and it's the first time that she has not only someone else has asked her that but that she's sort of thought of that question herself and and she thinks about it and says yeah I, I do want that um and so kind of this whole first book is about her you know embracing that that chance to actually affect her life and to make a decision and to you know, now that she knows, well, I'm in, I'm in this world. I'm, I'm gonna, you know, she decides I'm gonna carve out a place for myself in this world, and and I'm gonna take the opportunity that's been given to me. And now that I know that I am sticking around, I'm, I'm really sticking around. And you know, she has the chance in a couple of places to, um, you know, for a kid who has spent her whole life resigned to, to death, <laughs> um, she's suddenly, you know, now that she has that chance, she's 
determined that she's going to keep it. I, I think that's the most fascinating part of this. We've seen books with kids who are cursed and, you know, that sort of magical setup and that they can't escape it. But I think how you set it up of, like, she's deciding, even before she finds out that her curse is really not a curse. Yeah. She's still somebody who's very active psychologically and morally is, is really, I think, empowering in a lot of ways. How do you think about power and kids? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. I think back to when I was a kid and whether or not I felt powerful. And I think that you're right, this is the age where kids are starting to think about those questions and almost on the cusp of kind of coming into their own power. And Morrigan, again, it has a very obvious realisation of that. It's it's not just, well, I'm getting to be older and, and you know, I'm realising how I can affect change in the world. It's literally... I suddenly have the power to to make decisions that will affect the trajectory of my life. And I mean, that's definitely, what is she, 11? That's definitely around the age that I felt like suddenly I was a thing in the world, (laughs) you know, to put it kind of in a weird way. It's like, well, I'm not just existing as a product of the decisions that are being made on my behalf, but actually I can be part of that. You're not the object of the verb. Right. You're the subject. Right. Of the verb. Yeah. And I think that's, that is so powerful for kids to realize that and is that about the time when you were 11 and you were starting to have this idea that you started writing for yourself no matter how small I started writing pretty young actually um the I wrote oh well I mean I guess you say for yourself I mean I was writing things in school Mm -hmm. I really decided I wanted to be a writer when I was seven I wrote a story called the three koalas um total ripoff total ripoff but with koalas but my very lovely local librarian I think maybe my teacher passed it on and the local librarians published it in their monthly newsletter and of course seven-year-old me was like I've made it um (laughs) it's all gravy from here um um, and so I so that was that kind of gave me the bug and you know looking back I mean at the time I was just like of course of course this is going to be published in the newsletter but I mean what a lovely person what a lovely librarian that was to to be like oh this silly kid has written this thing let's encourage her because really that I mean that's kind of my you know people talk about origins that's kind of the genesis of where I went, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to write books and be published. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I really didn't stop. I was always writing things for myself. But I did as I got older, and I think this is probably, I don't know, for for a lot of people, it's probably a natural thing. I did become very insular in what I was writing. You know, you start off when you're a kid, and you know, you want to see your things up on the on the refrigerator. But then, as I got older, I didn't show anyone what I wrote. And going on to you know, this book, I think the first time that anyone read anything from it was when it was fully formed and or almost fully formed. And I let my sister read it because she'd been nagging me for like ever. <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea that you're starting at seven. And it's intriguing that you think about privacy. But I'm also intrigued by what you're talking about mentorship and going back a little bit about families of choice and bid day. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about bid day, because I think it's interesting that that's a, a point of choice mm. and almost beginning the process of choosing a new family right for Morgan can you talk a little bit about that yeah definitely so um for people who haven't read it bid day is a, a concept in this world that exists for everyone or children of a certain age who you know when they it's really kind of it's a sign of how unfair this world is because instead of every child sort of being entitled to an education which is exactly how it should be in this world I would like you all to pay attention to that last sentence <laughs> Jessica continue right (laughs) 
Um, in in this world, it's very much on. It's I mean, it's some kind of mishmash of merit, but also nepotism. And in this world, instead of you know just being entitled to go to a school, a te- uh, not necessarily a teacher, but either you know a person, a figure in in the world, or a teacher or a someone in society needs to sponsor a child's education. And so they have this event called Bid Day where like children who are particularly bright or talented or their parents are rich or whatever, they will hopefully, fingers crossed, receive a bid. And it's it's weird in a way. I guess for, it, it almost kind of mirrors the, for any writers out there, it kind of mirrors the um, process of getting an agent, right? Ah. Because, you know, everyone really wants to get an agent and then, you know, then when your agent loves your book and, and says, I'd like to represent you, very sudden power switch. Um, and suddenly it's like, well, I have to say yes or no to this person. And it's a really weird thing to experience. Really, really, really weird. And so that is especially weird for a group of 11 year olds to suddenly be in that, in that sort of position. And more, I mean, I don't want to sort of give any spoilers, but Morgan then has a very big decision to make. Mm-hmm. I like how you've compared it to getting an agent because it's almost entering into an apprenticeship mm-hmm. and an entry into a newer adult role and learning how to fill that as well as thinking about building a new family of uh, of an adult family of your own adulthood without I mean any other question I have could be spoilerific Mm -hmm. but do you think um, that you could tell us what Morrigan discovers she wants in a mentor yeah not what she gets what she wants (laughs) right um I mean, I, I don't think it's something that Morrigan even probably consciously thinks of, you know, what do I want in a mentor? Because she's not entering into this kind of relationship thinking that she's kind of entitled to anything. Um, because, again, she's sort of the lowest of the low and she's all of this is happening to her and it's a big surprise. Um, what she really realises that she wants in the world and what she's kind of forced to realise is that she wants a family, she wants to belong somewhere, she wants friends... And there's a lot of, you know, the world that she enters into, not just her relationship with Jupiter, but also when she moves to the Hotel Deucalion um, and she's also trying to get into the Wondrous Society. These are the very extravagant promises, um, you know, that the, that, that the Wondrous Society is basically offering her that she's never had before. It sounds like such a kind of basic thing. Well, of course, every, every kid wants friends and something to belong. But to Morrigan, it's like, this is a thing I've never dreamed of having. It's more, you know, she, she didn't dream of living past her 11th or 12th birthday. So, you know, that's, she doesn't get it in the way that she necessarily expects that she will. But that's kind of that process of discovery for her is not just, I want this thing, how am I going to get it? But also, what what is it that I want, mm-hmm. you know, now that I have a chance to want something <laughs> at all? I love that. Now, I'm going to ask you one last question mm-hmm. uh, before we get kicked out of this room, too. <laughs> It's been a day. <laughs> this book took you about 10 years to write. It doesn't get any less uh, ridiculous anytime that's mentioned. But yeah. <laughs> I haven't written any book and I am significantly more advanced than you are, dear. Um, but what do you know about yourself at the end of this that you did not know at the beginning? I don't want to sound flippant in any way, but what I know is that I can write a book that you know it sounds like I'm being silly but you really don't know you can write a book until you've written a book and you know we were talking earlier that you know I've been writing since I was seven and I knew that I always wanted to do that but 
you know, until you write the end, which I actually, I wrote the actual words, the end, because I felt like I should. Um, <laughs> um, you know, that's, I, I didn't understand kind of really what a big undertaking it would be to do that. I didn't know how to write a book. Um, you really just kind of, well, in my case, you just want to muck in and do it and you want to do it exactly the way that you want to do it. And that's probably, you know, the other thing is that I've realised is that actually that's that's fine. You know, I've always kind of been a person who I want to do things the right way. Like I want to, I want to follow the rules. I want to, you know, just do things well and please people and whatever. But actually in writing this book in the ridiculous manner that I wrote it, which was all over the place and out of timeline and procrastinating at every point of the way, <laughs> um, you know, I realized that's, that's completely fine. You can actually just do things the way that you want to do them, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I would argue that maybe that's exactly how you should do things, you know, not just write a book, but maybe that's how everyone should live their lives is just do the thing that you want to do and, and do it in a way, you know, that you're passionate about and that you enjoy. That got a little deep that's too right. quickly. That's right. <laughs> I learned I can write a book. There we go. Which is, you know, more than some people <laughs> learn. Well, Jessica, before another tragedy befalls us <laughs> and we are kicked out entirely into the cold and rainy New York afternoon. It's it's a jungle out there. It is. Yeah. Uh, thank you so very much for being with us in New York and for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Gentle listeners, I hope that you have on still your jazz hands and your spirit fingers for you will need both to flip through page by page, the truly delightful Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow, available at bookstore, bookstores, I'm not stopping again, <laughs> bookstores with bookstairs <laughs> and libraries. You want to walk up the bookstairs to get to the bookstores. They know what, they know, they know, they know. it's fine. It's yes. Fine. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> Goodbye.